Good morning, Mercy Road. How are we doing? If I have not met you, my name is Pastor Mike. I'm the lead pastor here, and you guys get a special medal, I think, or something for coming to church. It is 17 degrees below zero, and you brave the cold. If you're joining us online, glad to have you as well. We start a series today on the book of Jonah. I love this book. I think uh, a lot of people just think about the fish, the whale in Jonah, and, and they get distracted and think, is it really possible for a human to get gobbled up by a fish and vomited out on a shore? And, and it's kind of a silly line of reasoning because, you know, we believe that God is sovereign over all creation and can bend or break natural laws as he sees fit. And he did so in sending his own son in the flesh to live the life we can't live, to die the death that sin deserves, to rise again, to usher us into life with him if we want to be with him. We believe in resurrection. Talk about a miracle. If, if God can resurrect from the dead, he can work with a fish. And he does, and he works in mysterious ways. Pastor Chad, would you hand me that machine that kind of looks like a bomb, but it's not a bomb? How many of you, by a show of hands, have seen one of these? It's called a Vexlar. Yep, good Minnesotans need to, need to understand this. It's an ice fishing must-have. Uh, a Vexlar is something I've been staring at recently because we have an ice fishing ministry out on Crystal Lake in Burnsville. We've got an 18-foot a house, and we have had a group in that house every day for the last 16 or 17 days, veterans and teens and families. And so if you'd like to use our ICE house for a Bible study or a family gathering, just talk to any of our staff. We'd love to uh, let you do that. But a Vexlar measures the complexity of what's underneath the ice, because it's a mysterious world down there. You drill a hole on a Minnesota lake, and you look down, and it's dark, and, and you, don't, you have no idea how deep it is. So this will tell you with sonar radar how deep you're at. And it's actually kind of hard to read. There's different colors involved, and you really have to know what you're looking at. And you can tell what is kind of uh, air bubble and what's a fish if you learn how to read this. But even still, even with sonar technology, this is a $300 device, even with this, we would all just say logically that it's, it's a mystery down there. And as I've been ministering with people and two people in the ice fishing ministry, I've, I've thought a lot about how mysterious God's mercy is. It, it puts to shame the mysteries of the deep. We, we know that most of the oceans on our planet most of the ocean floor hasn't even been discovered. It's just unmapped. There's a lot of mystery out there, but the ocean of God's mercy and love and how he works in our lives as individuals and groups of people, that is a mystery that we, we couldn't begin to plumb if we spent our whole lives. There's some things we just can't understand. It would be like an ant trying to understand the internet, but we're gonna do our darndest through the book of Jonah in the next few weeks to dive in, that's a bad joke, to do a deep dive, I can do it all day, just, you know, to look into how God works, how God's mercy and justice specifically play out. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Jonah chapter one, we're going to start there, and really the word of God is how we start to understand the mercy of God, just like a vexlar will give you insight into what's below the ice. 
this story, Jonah's amazing journey, gives us insight. So I'm going to read 1 through 17 from the NIV. It'll also be on the screen. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So kind of a dramatic opening to a story. There was a guy, Jonah, who's a Jewish prophet. Prophets spoke for the Lord. They delivered messages of judgment and mercy to groups of people. God says, go, I've got a message for you. And Jonah abruptly does a 180 and runs in the exact opposite direction. Some of us have experienced this in life where God tells us to do something. And before he kind of finishes his sentence, so to speak, we're running in the opposite direction. That's what Jonah is up to. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. That's an interesting behavior. It's almost like he's just trying not to think about that. Have you ever been disobeying God, doing something you know is wrong, your conscience is lighting up, and it's like you try not to think about it. And sleep is one way that you can do that. He's, he's literally taking a nap, and there's a, there's a storm. The captain went to him. How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. So the storm is so abrupt and so supernaturally powerful, all these people coming from different religious backgrounds conclude, hey, clearly this is like a divine act of God and we're going to draw straws and hope that we can determine who needs to appease which God here. So they asked him, the lot falls to Jonah, and they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? They're asking identity group questions. You know, what's your story? Who are you? Who's your team? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Jonah has an interesting answer. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you. The Lord have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to them. This is God's word. What an interesting story. So basically, the prophet of God, Jonah, has said, go to this great city, Nineveh, and he runs in the opposite direction. He boards a ship to sail away from God's will for his life. 
And because of his disobedience, God sends a storm to redirect him, reroute him. And plot spoiler, he uh, doesn't drown. He actually is gobbled up by this fish, a whale of some sort. And he lives in there for some period of time, multiple days, and is vomited out on shore. Eventually, he's obedient, but he's begrudgingly obedient. And yet God is patient and God is persistent. Now, why in the world did Jonah disobey? The answer to that question is a hard one for us to hear because it implicates not only Jonah, but us. And if you're taking notes, the first thing I'd like us to note is this. Like Jonah, we try to hoard God's mercy. Just like Jonah, we do this. Have you ever caught yourself kind of daydreaming about somebody who really offended you or hurt you and you just found out recently that something isn't going well for them and you kind of found yourself delighting in that? Have you ever thought, I just can't forgive her. I just, there's no way I can forgive him. They crossed that line. That's no longer forgivable. And then you come to terms with with scripture that says, forgive other people as God forgives you. You have to forgive. You just say, I can't. They deserve nothing but judgment and consequences. They don't deserve mercy. Now, some of us struggle with this more than others, but I would wager that every one of us at some point in our lives, past or future, will have the experience of trying to hoard God's mercy whether that's through a lack of forgiveness or just seeing them as not intrinsically valuable and made in the image of God. Jonah, before we were too hard on Jonah, really was handed a whopper of a mission. I mean, Nineveh was an evil city full of people who did really evil things. They used to dismember the kings of conquered cities by cutting off their legs and one arm and then leaving their dominant arm there so that they could shake the king's hand in a mocking fashion as he bled to death. I mean, this is a society that just gloried in violence, in rape, in slavery. It was not a place, not a culture that honored God in any form of a good Jewish worldview. And Jonah is a good Jewish prophet. And so when he gets the message from God to go preach judgment and mercy to that city, his thought process is like, no, no. It feels like a suicide mission for one thing. I mean, it would have almost been like uh, a Jewish rabbi being told to go, go preach at the height of, of German Nazi movement, like go preach repentance to the, to the Nazi high command. It, it seems just way too irrational and we'll see later, it actually works. When he finally gets whale thrown up on the beach and he goes and does it reluctantly, they actually do repent. And so that just blows Jonah's categories. But at, from his limited point of view, he's like, I can't do that. I won't do that. It's not going to work. And if it does work, I won't be happy about it. And he's not actually. So Jonah tries to hoard God's mercy. Why do I say try? Well, if God's mercy was compared to like a garden hose with water pressure, a fire hose maybe, you can, you can envision 
enough pressure where it's just literally impossible to crimp that hose. The water will come out and Jonah cannot stop God's mercy. And to, to a real practical extent, we can't either. God is sovereign, but he wants us who are made in his image, who are his children, to grow up into behaving like he behaves, which is to be generous with mercy. We're in an interesting time as a nation and a culture because isn't it the case that politically speaking, issues of race and gender and victim groups, they're, they're at a fever pitch, right? And, and opinions run high and emotions run high right now. And if we're not careful, it's really easy to fall into a kind of tribalism, us versus them, and when that happens, we start to be very reluctant to see that group of people be recipients of God's favor or goodness because we have hardened our hearts towards that group of people. Jonah had hardened his heart towards the Ninevites and he no longer saw them as worthy of the grace and the mercy of God. But here's the thing, friends. We know as followers of Jesus Christ, this is basic belief, Christianity 101, none of us are worthy of God's grace. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us carries the virus of sin and selfishness and hypocrisy. And we know that God paid such a price to restore us that anyone who would turn from their sins and repent and call upon the name of Jesus, call upon the mercy and the grace of God earnestly is a recipient, not because they're deserving, but because God's mercy is so mysteriously vast and powerful. So that's some bad news. Like Jonah, we try to hoard God's mercy. That's just the situation we find ourselves in. We do it every time we say, I can't forgive them, or we catch ourselves daydreaming about someone's demise who hurt us. But if you're taking notes, I'd like us also to highlight another piece of bad news. It's a principle at work that Jonah shows us, and it speaks into our modern situation. When group identity is more important to us than obeying God's word, storms will follow. When tribalism, when loyalty to my clan, my people, that becomes the foremost value in my life, the only thing that matters, more important than understanding and doing God's will, living out his commands, obeying, storms follow. In this case, a very literal storm followed. And, and here we might make a distinction because what I'm not saying is that every difficult thing you have gone through or you will go through is a direct result of your uh, disobedience or sin or your obsession with group identity. That's not what we're saying. We, we have this beautiful scripture in Isaiah 63, verse 9. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them and carried them all the days of their life. Isaiah 63, 9 reminds us that when you hurt, when you shed a tear, when you suffer, God suffers alongside you. And not every tragedy or painful thing is a result of your shortcomings or your flaws or your rebellion or your sins. Some are, but not all are. We need to hear that 
But then we also need to hear that there are storms attached to sin. Sin is living in a way that offends God, that is out of step with the way he ordered the universe. And every time we willingly disobey God and sin, there are some storm effects. Sometimes they're not immediate like they were in Jonah's life. Right now, can you think of any storms that might come if we make group identity everything? And if you have a hard time answering that question, just remember back to junior high school. Do you remember junior high, middle school? That was a time when group identity was everything, right? You're either a jock or you're in the band or you're either a nerd or you're a popular kid or you're not a popular kid. There's groups and we can measure our worth based on all these groups. And it was kind of brutal. At least it was for me in junior high school. And it was us versus them. And it was tribal. And it didn't feel to me like the way that God made human beings to interact with each other. And now as mature adults, many of us are getting pulled back into a kind of crazy, hyper-focused obsession with group identity. We've said this before. Um, Pastor Scotty Holloway shared with us a sermon this summer, and he said, first, I'm a follower of Jesus. Then come all my other identity groups. Then I'm African-American. Then I'm from the South. Then I'm this. I've, I've said it too. First, I'm a follower of Jesus. Then come my other identity groups. Yeah, I'm a veteran. That's not the most important thing about me. Your gender is not the most important thing about you. Your race is not the most important thing about you. You are fearfully and wonderfully and complicated, and, and you are so unique, and so am I. And to just revert you to a group that you belong to? No. That's missing out on the vast beauty that is a human individual. We're made in the image of an eternal being. And we are more than the group and the groups that we belong to. And if we hyper-focus on group identity, there will be storms associated with that. Storms of disunity. Storms of my group fighting against your group to be right. Storms of this group oppressing that group. Storms of individuals' unique identities being completely erased because all that matters is group identity. So we've got two problems that we've learned from Jonah. One, we're mercy hoarders. That's a problem, right? Even the best of us have this tendency sometimes to, to hold, withhold forgiveness, to stoke our negative thoughts about people who have hurt us, to want people to, to not just receive justice, but to, to really pay for what they did to us, that's a problem. That's a problem for Jonah. That's a problem for religious people and ir irreligious people. It's a little bit like the older brother in the prodigal son story. He, he follows all the rules, and then, and then his dad spends money in a way that he doesn't want his dad to spend money honoring his younger brother, who is a rebel, and just dragged the family name through the mud and, and he's so mad. He's so angry because he doesn't want anything good for his younger brother. 
He just wants dad's stuff. And that's a problem. And it's also a problem that we are capable of bringing storms on ourselves by over-focusing on group identity and becoming tribal. Well, there's a third problem. Now, you would think if the pastor's preaching on a day that it's 17 below zero, he'd have some good news in the sermon, and it wouldn't be so negative. But if I can be really real with you, I had a vasectomy this week, and uh, that operation leaves, leaves a person in a little bit of physical pain. I'm doing well. Thanks for your prayers. So maybe that's why I'm negative, but I, I'd like to suggest that I'm just really reading the text here. We're just looking at Jonah, and, and we're saying, yeah, Jonah ran away from God's call because he has a tendency that I have in me. I recognize it. I don't want those people to be forgiven. I don't want to share. And he got tribal, and here's the third thing. Here's the third challenge. It's not a complete sentence. If we only obey God when it makes sense to us, dot, dot, dot. I want us to think about the dot, dot, dot. This is a principle that explains why there are a lot of followers of Jesus Christ who will go to heaven and be with God forever. They've accepted the forgiving love of Jesus, but they're, they're spiritual infants. They're not emotionally or spiritually mature people, even though they may be mature in age, because of this principle. And Jonah, Jonah perfectly exemplifies it. If Jonah can make sense of what God's asking him to do, then he's going to obey. And that's how it works with you and you and you and me. Sometimes. Hopefully not all the time. Now think about it. Isn't it true? Isn't it the case in your life? Not, not the person next to you. Just think about you that there have been times where God told you to do something. It's pretty obvious from Scripture. This is kind of what you're supposed to do. And because you couldn't think of a good reason to do that thing, to obey in that way, to go and do that, you just said, no, I'm just not going to do that. It doesn't make sense to me. That, that happens to me. And that's natural, right? I mean, if, if they're parents or grandparents or people who work with kids in the room, think of how many times a child will ask Why? My little girl is four, and her two favorite words are why and no. No? Why? Why? No. Mine is up there, but, but, but why is a big one. She wants to know why I'm asking her to do something. And there are times where internally I just want to kind of make the thought a declaration, but I know it won't help, but I'm thinking in my head, why? Because you're four, and I'm almost 40. That's why. Like, there's a big age gap. And, and I'm your dad, and you're four, and you're a, you're a kid, and you don't get it. But, but in those moments, Mercy Road, I am reminded of the vast mystery in play when it comes to God's mercy and judgment with individuals and groups of people and with all of human history. I am reminded that if there is a gap between me and my daughter there is a much, much bigger gap between me as a child of God and my Father who arts in heaven. Saying it's like an ant understanding the internet is woefully short. What area in your life, follower of Jesus Christ, do you kind of know deep down? You're doing the Jonah thing. 
you know God wants you to do it or to stop doing it or to start doing it. But you're like, no, because it doesn't make sense to me. I don't see the reasoning. What is that area? Or areas, plural. Is it possible that the reason you're hearing this message is because God is whispering to you gently, patiently, but persistently saying, just obey me, even when you don't understand why. And I will take care of you. He sees things that we don't see. He sees under the ice. He sees things that the sonar doesn't always pick up. He stands outside of time itself, and he's the best of fathers. We're going to continue for the next four weeks in Jonah, and we're going to look at the intricacies of God's mercy. And and my prayer is each week that we would not just learn about Jonah and learn about mercy, but we would be made into men and women who are marked by God's mercy who are so humble because we're aware of our own flaws and shortcomings and our need for God's mercy that we are very quick to extend God's mercy to each other, to forgive, to be unoffendable, and to show incredible love and grace even for people who we find difficult and irritating, unpleasant, who we would be tempted to not want God to pour favor on. That is my, my uh, prayer. But I want to close with this. We ha- I, I said there was some bad news. The bad news is, yes, we try to hoard mercy and, and we get way too focused on tribes and clans and teams and, and we get disunified and, and that brings on storms and we only obey God when it makes sense to us and that's problematic. But here's the good news. God is the one who calms every storm. Even when the waters of judgment come on us, he's the one that went under those waters of judgment. He's the one that was drowned in the judgment for us and who comes out of the water, just like we'll celebrate in baptism, new and able to make you new. If someone were going to ask me, Mike, what is your most expensive thing that you own? I'd say my house, probably, most people. Biggest asset is their house if you're a homeowner. But if if you were like really kind of holding my life for ransom and, and saying, you know, I need something more valuable for that. What is the most valuable thing to me? You know what I'd say. My kids. Of course, my wife. But there's something about when you're a parent, it's just you're, you have an irrational love for your children, even when they just really irritate you. So if you were to say, Mike, you have to give up them, your child, I'd say, I can't do that. I won't do that. But God did for you, for me. He gave the most valuable asset that any being could give because he loves you because he knew the death of the son of God would make sons and daughters of God return home be fully healed and restored trust this God 
even when you don't understand him. Remember that he spared nothing. And we will remember that as we prepare our hearts for communion. Father God, thank you for the story of Jonah. Help us to understand your mercy more in depth and to apply it. As we prepare our hearts for communion, would your Holy Spirit gently convict us, not, not shame us. You don't do that. You, you just bring things to our mind and our heart and you ask us to change. And as we take the elements, would you soften our hearts and remind us how much you love not only us, but you love them. In Jesus' name, amen.